You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to Domecast. This is Jordan Schrader taking a turn in the host chair this week. And with me is Will Doran and Craig Jarvis. And we have a very special guest today in from D.C., David Lightman of the McClatchy D.C. Bureau. He's here talking to voters about the presidential race. So he'll talk a little bit about what he's hearing out there. Um, Craig, why don't you start? Uh, We had a busy week this week in the governor's race with some uh, new endorsements, uh, some new ads, a couple of new polls. Uh, so uh, what's the, what was the takeaway from this week for you? Well, I guess it was uh, good news, bad news on both sides. It was uh, good news for the, uh, for the Attorney General Roy Cooper is that uh, a couple polls came out that showed him with a, with a sizable lead. There was a Monmouth University uh, out of New Jersey poll that gave him, put him up seven points uh, and then at the same day, a CNN poll had him up six points. Um, overall, looking at the r- real clear politics, average uh, Cooper's up 3.6%. Um, the McCrory people immediately jumped on the Monmouth ad uh, poll as nothing that, uh, to pay much attention to for all sorts of methodog- methodological reasons. Uh, the sampling was too small and a bunch of things like that. So, you know, these things are always disputed depending on who's up or down. Good news for the governor was... Um, a number of significant police endorsements this uh, uh, came out yesterday on uh, Thursday. The uh, Police Benevolent Association, Friends of the Fraternal Order of Police, and the State Troopers Association. I think those are the big ones. Uh, all came out for him. The governor held a press conference to kind of announce it, drive home the point that, that Cooper, this really the, sti- the state's top law enforcement officer, uh, did not get these uh, uh, those endorsements. Cooper got his own endorsements from smaller organizations, the uh, Raleigh Police Protective Order or something like that, the Firefighters and Paramedics uh, Association, then some national coalition of associations. Um, so things kind of broke both ways. We saw some new ads this week in the race. Um, there were a couple that uh, the governor put out. Um, one sort of going with his his theme of raising teacher pay. And uh, the other one focusing on HB2, which I was a little surprised uh, that, that he's doing ads, uh, focusing on on the uh, transgender bathroom uh, law. Uh, tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, that was an interesting kind of subtle little shift there. He did the teacher pay ad, which once again dri- drives home one of his main uh, talking points, that the uh, teacher pay is increased under his watch. And the average is up to fifty thousand dollars a year. I, I, I don't. It's most of us. I don't think follow the uh, ins and outs of that argument. Both sides dispute the teacher pay issue. But anyway, they <coughs> promoted that ad, sent out a press release about it. The same day, another ad came out that they didn't mention at all. They didn't send out press releases about. <coughs> it was a. It was an ad of a woman saying she had been uh, sexually molested uh, as a child, and but tying that to the whole bathroom argument. Uh, and uh, the interesting shift about that is, is the governor has made a big point of saying his concerns were simply about privacy, not about safety. He wasn't using what he said was the rhetoric of uh, fear, but this was all about safety. It wasn't about privacy. So uh, although it wasn't the governor saying it, it was his campaign uh, making that point. 
There was uh, there was also some new ads in the Senate race between Richard Burr and Deborah Ross, and uh, the same polls that you just talked about. Craig also had some numbers in the uh, in that race, and it looks pretty much neck and neck. A lot of people are surprised that um, Deborah Ross is doing as well as as she is. Uh, against a, a two-term incumbent, but uh, she's only down by a couple points in one of them, and I can't remember if it was uh, uh, three points in the other one. It was, it was pretty close. Um, Will, uh, you took a look at the uh, latest Deborah Ross ad, um, which was a little unusual because it had her making the the negative attack personally in this ad. It had her um, calling an actor playing Burr, right? And uh, uh, or b- ra- vice versa, the actor uh, called her and uh, right. wanted to have a conversation with her about why she was talking so bad, uh, p- p- talking so poorly about Washington D.C. So, what what was that ad about? Um, well, I should lead off by noting that the uh, the actor playing Burr was uh, shown quite prominently not wearing any socks, and uh, that is accurate. Um, I can say that from the effect standpoint. McClatchy uh, <laughs> uh, actually had a fun story the other day about um, how Burr is kind of you know famous for for not wearing socks and is uh, you know just loves it. He, it's it's kind of his thing, and you know he's kind of. He, He's got this kind of quirky personality with his, you know, wacky car that he has and everything. So I think he kind of relishes stuff like he that. He tweeted about it this week. He tweeted that he <laughs> he doesn't hate socks. He just prefers not to wear them. And right, yeah. right. You don't want to you don't want to anger, you know, the uh, big sock, but <laughs> big hosiery. <laughs> right. Yeah. Big hosiery. But um, no, on the uh, the uh, the actual important part of the ad, um, we looked at a claim uh, that uh, Ross had made, and I'm not going to get it verbatim here, but essentially that Richard Burr had uh, gone to Washington um, and enriched himself on the back of special interests, had become a millionaire and voted to cut his own taxes and taxes for other millionaires, and then also voted to cut uh, or to increase uh, taxes on the middle class and on working people. Um, so the, uh, the article's up now on politifact.com slash North Carolina, and you know people can go through and see all the the details we go through it step by step, but basically, um, uh, Burr is a favorite of special interests. He's the top recipient this year from the tobacco industry and from the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, every time uh, he's run for the Senate in the past, in 2004, 2010, he was also a big favorite of you know PACs and business interests and things like that. Um, obviously, he hasn't taken that money personally. That would be you know bribery, and uh, there's you know, no allegations against him about that. But he definitely has, you know, uh, risen to office and risen to a prominent position, you know, with with help from corporate backers. Um, And then moving on to the part about the taxes, we looked into it, and uh, he has cast uh, several votes in the past to cut uh, income taxes for millionaires, um, including himself. And uh, so that that part of the ad was accurate. The The less accurate part was the claim that he had voted to raise taxes on the middle class. Um, they were citing the same budgets um, and these same tax deals, and there were some liberal think tanks and some uh, studies commissioned by Democratic politicians that had found that, yes, uh, Paul Ryan's budgets back in 2011, 2012, 2013 uh, would have raised taxes, but the problem with those studies is that they were based just kind of on educated guesses because... Paul Ryan's budget was very vague about how it would pay for the tax cuts for the rich people. So some conservative think tanks said, no, it'll be fine. It'll just all cut government spending. The liberal 
think tank said no, it'll raise taxes on the middle class. So there's really just no way to tell, and you know it, it was uh, it was not accurate of Ross to you know say for sure that Burr had voted to do that because no nobody knows. Um, so we ended up giving it a uh, a half true, and uh, yeah, if I ramble too much, uh, people can just go online and read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there there was this line in the ad that said that he cashed in, that Burr cashed in, and so that's a, a sort of uncheckable, but it all comes with this kind of uh, uh, unsavory air that he's somehow uh, you know pocketed uh, uh, money or something like that. But but the the claim was was a little more specific than that that we that we. Uh, Right. Checked. And like um, I said, he, you know, there's definitely no allegation that he's been, you know, taking money under the table or anything like that. So, um, but he has increased be, his wealth in the years since he's, yes, uh, he, been he, in he the has Senate. become much, much more wealthy. Um, but he's, you know, I mean, he's probably top 1% nationally, but he's barely even middle of the road compared to Congress. He's uh, a middle class senator. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. U.S. Senator. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, what about the, the presidential race? Um, David, uh, you've been here for a good chunk of the week talking to voters about what they think about Trump and Clinton and what issues they're worried about uh, as they get ready to vote. Uh, What are you hearing? Well, we always ask voters, what's your biggest concern without giving them a list? And three things come up, health care, the economy, national security, which I know is a broad reach. But there's a theme to all this, and that is people are frightened, and they're frightened like I've rarely seen before, and I've been covering presidential races forever. Um, and they're worried, start with the economy. Psychologically, a lot of them still haven't recovered from the recession. Uh, many were laid off not that long ago. Uh, they're not earning the incomes they were eight, nine years ago. Uh if they're younger, if they're under 35, they have mountains of college debt if they, in fact, went to college. Um, if they didn't go to college, they see themselves in hourly jobs very often that aren't paying a whole lot. Um, then go to health care. Um, yeah, I know the country and the state is split on the value of Obamacare, but there's hard data that shows premium increases. In fact, people often can't keep their doctors. And again, people are concerned about, A, the cost, and B, Will I be taken care of? Will physicians be there? Will the hospital be able to properly care for me? And then third, national security. And we found this particularly among women uh, with children, younger children. Uh, Will my son or daughter be going to war? I met one woman, for example, who was probably in her 40s, seven, eight-year-old boy. She said, you know, in 10 years, What's going to happen here? Is he going to end up going to Syria or something else? Is there anything we can do to stop it? So that whole umbrella of fear really colors uh, what you're hearing out there. And Donald Trump's tried to tap into a lot of that economic insecurity and uh, insecurity about uh, national security. So uh, are people who are uh, worried about those things turning to Trump, or are they turning uh, to Clinton, What, or is it a mix? Well, because you have two such well-known candidates and because people are so polarized and fixed, there's not a lot of wiggle room here. Now, uh, go back to the Monmouth poll that you all cited. Uh, Clinton's ahead, but it's within the margin of error. The the race is too close to call, which means you're fighting for roughly 15% of the electorate, if that. What are they looking for? They're looking for reassurance, leadership, change. In a... With a different Republican candidate, 
they would probably go there, but Trump gives them pause. He hasn't won. He hasn't lost this election at this point, but there are obstacles that are preventing them from going full throat for Trump at this point. It's not over yet, not by any means, uh, and we'll see what happens, but Trump gives them pause. And uh, you ran into a couple of specific anecdotes or examples uh, about that as you were out there. Uh, you heard about uh, people being wary of letting other people know that they are Trump supporters. Yeah, um, we saw this trend particularly uh, up in North Raleigh among some Republicans the other night uh, where they said, I don't want to put a yard sign out. I'm afraid somebody's going to steal it. Uh, I don't want to put a bumper sticker on my car. I don't know what they're going to do to my car. And then when we looked further, was it just one or two people or what? turned out there are quite a few who have that fear um, and, in fact, uh, sent us to a local hardware store in downtown Raleigh where they put cardboard cutouts of Trump and Clinton outside just for fun. People could take their picture. And, yeah, the Clinton uh, cutout was defaced, but the Trump cutout was really defaced. I mean, it was vandalized. They tore off the back wooden uh, stick that holds it up. Um, yeah, there's this real, I, I want to say disdain, I want to say downright hatred of this guy, and it's um, making a lot of people skittish who might normally support him wholeheartedly. Yeah, well, we had uh, uh, a couple of, no, no big uh, uh, visits, but we had uh, uh, Laura Trump, uh, Trump's daughter-in-law, in Raleigh this week, and she went to Briggs Hardware and uh, talked about, uh, I think, uh, um, talked with small business owners and the like, and uh, the Hillary Clinton campaign had a couple of uh, small business-centered events. Uh, one of them was with, uh, I think, Latino business owners. Will, you went over to that one. Um, what were people saying there? Yeah, it was over at um, Centro, which is a Mexican restaurant here in downtown Raleigh, and um, it was a uh, it was basically an event by the Clinton campaign to try and convince um, uh, minority business owners, whether they were women, Latino, African-American, um, to, one, talk to more customers about politics if they felt comfortable doing that. Um, for instance, there was a woman there who owned a hair salon, and you know she joked about how she's got a captive audience when she's cutting their hair to, you know, <laughs> to preach to them, um, but also to try and... Uh, register more voters uh, who are coming into their businesses and um, but you know kind of you know in, indicative of you know some of the uh, you know the issues with the, the Clinton campaign maybe nationally is there wasn't a whole lot of interest there were I mean there were more people with the media there than there were business owners um, and you know I you know I don't know uh, exactly how telling that is it's only one event you know in one city but um, you know th uh, they were asking them you know Go and tell your friends. Do the same thing. You know, tr you know, trying to get them to kind of snowball the effort a little bit. Uh, yeah, and yet uh, Bernie Sanders, who is not a presidential candidate anymore, uh, somehow got a ton of people together across town, right, David? Didn't you? Yeah. You went and saw some Sanders supporters. Yeah, they don't they, do they realize that the, 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 that he's not <laughs> a candidate? Well, he's not a candidate, but the movement lives on. Um, you know, all through the primary season, you kept hearing from the Sanders people and Sanders himself. This isn't just a candidacy; it's a movement. So the movement was there at the Starbucks and Cary on Wednesday night. Uh, Sanders did a live stream uh, that evening where he talked about what comes next. And all over the state, um, and all over the country for that matter, uh, people gathered in various spots at homes, community centers, and so forth to watch this. And then Cary, they did it outdoors at the Starbucks and um, set up computers on those 
table, little tables there, and people stood around and watched. And um, afterwards, we asked them, uh, okay, now what? Uh, a lot of them said, we'll hold our nose and vote for Hillary Clinton. Uh, but there were some supporters of Gary Johnson, the Libertarian candidate, and Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate. Yeah, I don't know how well uh, Sanders' support transfers to a Libertarian. It's uh, sort of at the, in some ways, at the opposite end. But I suppose they have some, they have some parallels on uh, dr uh, the drug war and some things like yeah, that. Yeah, I think one thing to remember, and to follow up what Will was saying about the Clinton event, it's August, and we still have over two months to go, and. People are engaged more so than usual this year because you have two well-known candidates, but it's still August, and I think a lot of people either haven't made up their minds or they're still searching. I mean, history will tell you that the undecided people tend to be undecided right on through to the end. Um, and in the case of the Bernie Sanders supporters, they don't look. They've spent months and months and months demonizing Hillary Clinton. They're not going to suddenly pivot three weeks, four weeks after the Democratic Convention, say, yep, I like her, I'm going to show up at her events. Let's see what happens October 25th. And uh, even though it is August, we're already being barraged with presidential ads. It doesn't really feel like August. It kind of feels like we're already in October or something. But uh, uh, Craig wrote about today, in fact, I mean this week, in fact, that there was, I think, $10 million, something like that, spent in in ads in this state, and we're the number three state uh, behind Florida and Ohio. Um, so we can look forward to uh, a lot more, uh, a lot more ads and a lot more appearances by these candidates uh, as we uh, as we get closer to the election. Um, I think that's it for this segment, and we'll be right back with our headliner of the week. Stay with us. Today, my new dad threw a barbecue. I burnt everything. Ah! And then we played catch. I broke Mr. Lewis's window. And then, somehow, my hand. My hand! And then my dad even let me drive his car. The hospital's on the right! It was a rough day. It was a great day. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Head, 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 headliner of the week. We're back with Domecast and ready for headliner of the week, where we talk about who was the uh, most important or influential or fascinating uh, or interesting newsmaker of the week. Uh, Will, do you want to start? Who's your headliner of the week? My headliner is Phil Berger um, for a uh, very interesting s story that he inspired on basically the, uh, the political balance of academia. He came out, um, there was, uh, the legislature is attempting to establish an institute at UNC Chapel Hill um, focused on um, environmental studies, um, which worried some of uh, you know, the professors and the administrators there because there already is an environmental institute at UNC, and so they were wondering, well, why is the legislator trying to start a new one? And uh, Berger came out and said, well, it's because all of these professors are liberal Democrats, and we want, you know, basically he was accusing them of turning out uh, 
you know, biased studies and, uh, you know, unsurprisingly, the response from the university has been, no, we just, we have a very rigorous process and just because it's something that, you know, might not be politically popular doesn't mean it's biased. So it's kind of led to this whole, you know, back and forth, but also this debate over the, uh, the place of politics in higher education and, you know, obviously, you know, uh, who pays for studies and who conducts studies, you know, could, you know, you know, potentially uh, <laughs> determine the outcome of that study. So it's been a pretty interesting uh, debate and I think one that's going to continue going on. So for that reason, Phil Berger. Phil Berger, uh, whose aide apparently uh, was rumored to be in the running for uh, that job leading the policy right, collaboratory. Right. Which is why um, he's kind of been you know, pushing it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Senate leader Phil Berger uh, in the hat. Uh, Craig, who's your nominee for headliner of the week? My nominee is someone you've not heard of unless you're a state employee. Uh, the head of the state employees, the, the HR guy for the state employees, Neil Alexander, <coughs> has, uh, is resigning to take a job with Gardner Webb University, which is his alma mater. Um, the couple of significant things about Alexander is uh, he carried out a couple of McCrory's key initiatives, which were to increase the number of political appointees among state employees. And then also they kind of changed from uh, across the board pay raises to more what they call uh, strategic mar market-driven uh, increases, depending on what position you're in, which uh, caused him to run afoul a number of times at the, with the state employees union. But uh, Neil Alexander. Okay. All right. Uh, Neil Alexander departing as the uh, state's human resources director and Phil Berger, both in the – Senate leader Phil Berger, both in the, in the hat now – uh, special, our special guest, David Lightman, coming in all the way from D.C. Uh, uh, we put him on the spot and uh, suggested uh, he should think of a headliner of the week probably uh, half an hour ago. So uh, who, 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 have, you, have you thought of somebody? Yes. Who's your headliner of the, the week? The undecided North Carolina voter. Hmm. And I'll tell you why. Um, if uh, the Monmouth poll and other polls show that roughly 10 to 15 percent of these voters are undecided, there are only seven or eight states that are considered swing states that could go either way in the Trump, Clinton, Johnson, Stein election. North Carolina is one of them. So think about this. That 10 to 15 percent block of undecideds could very well hold the key to what happens. I mean, you're, you've already seen it with all these visits from the Trump and the Clinton people, and you said uh, Laura Trump was here this week. You're going to see a lot more. They're after that 10 to 15 percent. What do they want? As we said before, they want to hear more about health care, the economy, national security, and they have big doubts about both Trump and Clinton, and somehow they've got to decide which one they can vote for, even if it involves holding their nose and voting for them. So stay tuned. They're going to be watched very, very closely. All right. The undecided voter in Purple State, North Carolina, Phil Berger, and Neil Alexander. Uh, well, if I didn't pick the uh, headliner suggested by the, the guest, the guest would, uh, uh, we wouldn't be able to get guests on this, on this show. So uh, I think I'd better, better take uh, uh, David's pick. But also, I well, like We want to win the undecided voters, too, here at Domecast. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, your, uh, your check is in the mail. Uh, maybe we can get you a dome mug. 
Um, but uh, uh, also, it's rare that uh, somebody comes to to uh, headliner of the week with actual statistics to back up their their argument. Usually, we just wing it. So I, I gotta I gotta go with that anyway. Uh, yeah. So the undecided North Carolina voter is uh, the headliner of the week. And uh, thanks to David Lightman for joining us this week. Uh, for Craig Jarvis and Will Doran, I'm Jordan Schrader, and uh, you've been listening to Domecast. Please join us next week. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.